And today I want to talk about another value that we have, and I've been talking about a, a scripture. When Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple, his disciples saw that, and it brought back to, to mind an Old Testament verse, and it said that zeal for your house has consumed me. That Jesus had a passion for God's house and for the things of God. And so every week we've been given a value that we're passionate about. And we are passionate about the truth of Scripture. We are passionate about the truth of the Scriptures. That is the foundation of everything. It's not personality. It's not... Uh, some kind of cult that's, that's driven by personality or anything like that. It's not the whims of culture that guide us. It is the unchanging foundational truths of scripture. That is the basis for what we believe and practice. Everything goes back to, is it scriptural? Is there precedent for this? Because if it's just a good idea I have, how many knows that's subject to fail? And if it's just some good book that somebody has written here recently that seems to have some good ideas, that's subject to change. But the power of the scriptures, we believe, come directly from God so that we can build our lives upon them. And, and the Bible, we believe, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about some of these things and the, the processes for how we, how we got the Bible. We believe that God's hand was on that process, that God led the Scriptures into being created. And so we are built upon the truth of God's Word that Jesus gave and His apostles gave. That was one of the... Uh, Criteria for something being admitted to the New Testament were they connected to Jesus? Did they know Jesus? In other words, it wasn't just some guy who had a, a vision and thought of some good ideas, but that they knew Jesus and they were connected to Jesus. That's so important. So the first point I want to give us today is this, is that the Word of God is at the foundation of everything. Amen. The Word of God is at the foundation of everything. Every song that we sung today, it should go through a filter. Is this scriptural? What I'm preaching right now should go through a filter. Is it scriptural? Every practice, every program that we have, is it scriptural? Does this gel? Does this agree with the word of God? And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. In other words, he built on the right foundation. And everyone, and then he says, then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And I just want to tell you that maybe you've had a really comfy, comfortable life and just everything has gone great for you. I want to tell you, you just stick around long enough, the storm's going to come. Just because you believe in Jesus, just because you've committed your life to Jesus, just because you call yourself a Christian, just because you've been baptized, doesn't mean that storms, that you're immune from storms. That storm is going to come. And when it comes, it's going to test what your life is built on. And if it's built on the rock of the word of God, and, and Jesus here, he, he's talking about his words specifically, but I believe that we can apply this because it's all his word, right? 
It's all his word. And he says, when that storm comes, if you've built your life on the foundation of the word of God, it will not fall. And how many can testify that today, that you've been through some stuff. You've seen things come and go. You've seen people come and go. You've been through situations in your life, but because it was built upon the foundation of the word of God, it did not fall. And we've seen some things in the last few years, some mega churches, that when the storm came, it didn't stand because they were built on entertainment, they were built on personalities, they were built on things that in of themselves aren't necessarily bad, but they're not the foundation. And one of the ways that this church has existed for almost a hundred years is because we are built upon the foundation of the Word of God, which is unchanging, reliable, and true. Somebody needs to praise God for that foundation that keeps us and holds us when everything else around us is shifting. God's Word is reliable. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. How many of us we got to hear and we got to do? We got too many Christians that are professional hearers. We need some doers of the word. They hear and they do, they, they, they hear it, but they don't do it. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell uh, and, and this is a part I think we often miss. And great was the fall of it. They fall spectacularly. They, they have a Instagram worthy fall. Why? Because they weren't doers and hearers of the word. And so trends may come and go. But the word of God is eternal. And it establishes us a sure foundation and I want to say this, morality is cyclical. You think that the stuff we're seeing right now is new, it's not. You dig back in, in history of the Roman Empire, you dig back in, in different civilizations, it's all come and gone. But it doesn't change the truth. And I want to say this right now, if 99.9% .9 of people declare something to be right, that the Word of God declares to be wrong, it's still true. It's still wrong. If there's one person on the planet who's standing up and saying like Noah, saying, no, 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 I'm standing on the Word of God, it's still true. It's not determined on popular opinion or on culture. It's determined on what God's revelation has been given to us. Has anybody loved the truth? Does anybody love? You've got to, I want to say it, you've got to not just tolerate God's truth, you've got to love God's truth. Amen. You've got to buy it and sell it not. You've got to love it. Why? Because it's his word. It's his character. And I, I just want to say this. How many will agree with me that there's some things in that book you don't like? You ever like read the word of God and you, you come to like a contentious issue in the word and be like, Lord, you could have saved a lot of trouble if you just would not have put that in there. Like, is it really that big of a deal? And that's when I've got to submit myself to the wisdom of God. Not to the wisdom of Jeremy or anybody else because how many knows that his ways are so much higher than mine? 
and I've got to trust him. Trusting the word of God is a test of our discipleship. And sometimes that requires us having hard conversations that says, you know what? I'm sorry, but I trust God's word. I'm sorry, but I I can't agree with this. I've got to trust the word of God. So what, what we believe, our doctrine, we look to the Bible. What we hold to be the tenets of our faith, we look to the Bible. And I want to say this, tradition has a place, but it's not the final word. John Calvin wrote some good things, but he's not the final word. Martin Luther wrote some good things, but he's not the final word. Come on, somebody. There's some great Pentecostal preachers, but they're not the final word. The final word is the word of God himself, the all-knowing, all-wise God who gave his revelation to us. So so what, what does the word of God, when it's a foundation of everything, what does that look like? Well, it brings correction in our life. It brings correction. And that is a dirty word right now. Nobody likes to be rebuked. Nobody likes to be corrected, but we all need it, including me. Second Timothy 3.16, and every year when I start my Bible class here at, at MAPS, the first scripture they learn, and they learn this every year, is Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture, everybody say all scripture. All scripture. Is breathed out by God. Yes. Is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, everybody say, correction. And for training in righteousness that the man of God or the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. How many knows that all of us need some people in our life who can say, you're wrong? And you're wrong not because I'm saying so. You're wrong because the word says so. And I want to tell you, one of the most loving things that you can do for people right now is lovingly bring correction. And I want to put a disclaimer, and you need to have the right relationship. Just don't go around randomly correcting people, all right? But if you have the relationship to do so, correct them. Amen. And we don't like that, do we? And this culture of everyone's feelings are the most important value we have right now. When we don't care if they're dead wrong, as long as they feel good. Listen, if, if you're heading for destruction, and I know that you're heading for destruction, and I say nothing, I am culpable. And I have a duty. And come on, we, we, we need to correct our kids. We need to correct those around us who we have a voice in their life to do so. Because the end is like this house, it's gonna be a huge fall. And I don't wanna see anybody destroyed in this house. And and sometimes we give hard truths around here, but it's done in love. And so the Bible shows us how to live, it corrects us, and it completes us. And so it brings correction. And we've gotta ask this question, who and what is the authority in my life? You need authority in your life. I've gotten phone calls. Uh, some of y'all know Brother Tenney, Bishop Tenney. He was a mentor to me. And I remember I was going to a meeting one time of some uh, young pastors. And um, he called me, he said, hey, I heard you're going to this meeting. 
which first of all, the first thing you need to know about Bishop Tenney, he was omniscient. Like he knew things like there's no way anybody could know. And you need a man of God in your life or a person of God who is spiritually gifted to know what's going on in your life. And he said, hey, you need to be careful. He said, I'm not telling you can't go, but you need to be careful. And something bucked up in me like, just leave me alone. I didn't like it. But I look back now and every person in that meeting is in deep deception. I'm not talking like small, I'm talking deep deception. And I'm so thankful I had a person in my life who said, be careful. Don't just eat everything at that table. Don't just consume everything you're hearing. Why? Because there's safety in that. We need voices of correction. The next thing that the word of God gives us is direction. We need direction in our life. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word gives us direction. When we go to the word of God, it shows us about choices we need to make. It gives us principles in our life of how to live our life. And it could be like, you know, the word of God. One day I wasn't reading it in Danielle's name. I read like a certain scripture backwards and Danielle's name popped up. That didn't happen. And I want to say any of those books, don't listen to that. There's no value in reading scriptures backward or if you read it in the Hebrew backward, everybody can play those games. What we're talking about is this, principles. The word of God will tell you the type of person you need to marry. The word of God will tell you the type of purchases you need to make. Come on, somebody. It will tell you how to handle your money. It will tell you how to handle your relationships. And so it gives direction in our life. The next thing the word of God gives has our foundation is it's our protection. Psalm 1, says, I have stored up your word in my heart. You need to memorize the word of God. You need to eternalize the word of God. And why? So that I might not sin against you. Young people, you need to get that word deep in your heart right now so that when you start to hear philosophies, when friends start giving ideas, when you start to be led down a, a way that could lead to destruction, you have the word of God at your disposal and you can say, I know that this is true and I'm going to stay in it. Come on, somebody give God praise for his word. And if you build your house in the rock, you will, number one, you're gonna flourish. I'm gonna flourish. When I talk about it, I'm not talking just finances. I'm talking relationships. I'm talking things that you can't quantify. How many wants to be a blessing? Yeah. Whenever you leave this life, you left this place better than you found it. I, I love Psalm 1, and this is a, another foundational scripture. Every year I have my kids memorize. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In other words, you don't hang around bad influences. You don't hang around people that don't value God's word. But his delight is what? It's in the law of God. 
I delight in the law of God. And in his law, he meditates night and day. That's why it's important to memorize. You think about it night and day. You've got it in your mind. You've got it in your spirit. And then he says this. He says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. If you want to flourish in your life, I have nothing to sell you. I have nothing. I don't have like all these secrets. I don't have seven points to flourishing. I have one, and that is get the Word of God in your life. Love the Word of God. Live the Word of God, and you will flourish. I'm not worried about the wicked today. You know why? Because their ways will not prosper. Their ways will not sustain. Their ways will not prevail. I am confident that the righteous will not be forsaken. I'm confident that righteous will, righteousness will prevail. Why? Because it's built on the word of God. Next thing it helps us do is to fight the good fight of faith. Listen, if you don't have the word of God in this hour, you're a sitting duck. You're gonna be deceived. How many of us, we gotta fight the good fight of faith for our families, for ourselves, And it is a fight. In the book of Jude, it says, contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. You've got to stand up and fight for the word of God in your life. You've got to call out deception in your own life. We've got to call out deception in our culture. We've got to call out deception in our church. Come on, somebody. Why? Because you've got to fight for it. You've got to contend for it. Why? Because the enemy hates it. He knows if he can take out that foundation, everything's at play. And we are left to our own devices. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul gave the weapons of our warfare. Sometime read it, but in verse 17, verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. That sword of the spirit, that is the only offensive weapon that he mentions. And how many knows we gotta play offense? We can't just play defense. We we have gotta go back to the enemy's camp. We gotta say, you're not having my kids. You're not having my church. You're not having this house. And the sword of the Spirit, what is it? The Word of God. Every time Satan tried to tempt Jesus, he came right back at him with the Word of God. He came right back at him with the truth of the Word. When Jesus was his weakest, he went to that one weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we've got to know it, and we've got to quote it, and we have got to stand on it. The second thing... I want to tell us today is this, we've got to believe the word of God over man's opinion. And just week, this week, I, I saw a, a pastor who I respect and I love listening to him, but he was talking about a controversial topic and he says, if we don't change, we're going to lose our young people. And I don't want to lose our young people. But if it comes between choosing culture and the truth of God's word, it's not a difficult choice. Sorry. Sorry, you know why? That trend will come and go. And just because you're 25 and you've taken a few college courses doesn't mean you're smarter than the word of God. There's thousands of years of wisdom 
given by various prophets and men of God that has withstood the test of time. And I'm standing on that word. If, if everybody, there's uh, this uh, part, I believe it's in John chapter six, where Jesus is doing all the cool tricks. He's feeding thousands of people and he's healing people and all, great things are happening. And at the end of that, he says, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, you cannot be my disciple. And it says in mass, people got up and left. And Jesus looked at his 12 disciples, said, you guys going too? And Peter said, where else do we go? And that's the attitude you've got to have. If 95% of this church walks out and leaves, I'm standing on the word of God. I'm not going to apologize for the word of God because that is more important than your opinion. Second Timothy chapter four, we need to hear this. Come on, we need to hear this today. He says, I charge you. Paul is talking to Timothy, a, a young pastor. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who is the judge of the living and the dead and by the appearing of his kingdom. He starts, he says, the reason I'm charging you to do this is we're playing for keeps here. We're playing for eternity. Uh, you're gonna give an account to Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead. He says, so I charge you. And he says this, preach the word. How many of us, we need to preach the word. I love politics. Politics is important. But it's not more important than the word of God. I'm not going to the GOP website or the Democrat party website or the whatever party website to get my bulletin points today. We need to preach the word. We don't need to preach pop psychology. And there's a place for that. Now, I believe that we have a, a, a pretty long, wide table, a good buffet that we dabble in from time to time. But at the end of the day, psychology is not the answer. We need to preach the word. Everybody say, preach the word. And he says this, be ready in season and out of season. I just want to tell you right now, this is one of the most misquoted scriptures. Because I was in Bible college, we would say this all, oh, you got to be ready in season and out of season. And what that meant is in preaching class, if the instructor called on you, you got to be ready to preach. That's not what I was talking about. You know what he's saying? He's saying, preach the word, preach the truth when it's popular and when it's not popular. When it's going to be stood up and cheered and when it's going to be booed. Preach the word. Preach it in season and out of season. He says, reprove and rebuke. Amen. That is part of preaching the word, is reproving and rebuke. And I, I just want to stop here. And some of you, maybe you came from church cultures where harshness and beating people up with the word of God was like a value. Like if you didn't go home feeling like you had just been punched in the face, you didn't feel like you had church. And I want to tell you, I don't believe in that. However, there is a place for balance, where we reprove and rebuke, and then he says what? Exhort. We're gonna reprove and rebuke, but after we do that, we're gonna encourage. And we're gonna say, you can do this. You can live this life. You can be better. Why? Through the power of God's spirit. We're not just gonna beat people up. We're gonna encourage. We're gonna exhort with complete patience and teaching. Amen. How many of us, we got patience around here? Go ahead and raise your hand if you got everything right within the first month of attending here. And you know what? You still don't have everything right, just so you know. 
We're gonna reprove and rebuke, rebuke and encourage with patience and teaching. And I want you to see as he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Hello, I think we're there. People will not, uh, uh, look at the language, you've got to endure sound teaching. Like I said earlier, there's times in the word of God, I'd be like, but it made it a whole lot simpler. Lord, my job would be a whole lot simpler. That wasn't in there. You've got to endure sound teaching. You've got to hold on when you want to let go and endure sound teaching. And he says, people, there's coming a time where they won't do that, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're gonna church shop until they find somebody who will validate them. They're gonna church shop until they find somebody who will say, well, you know, we don't really care about, you know, sanctification. We don't really care about life change. And I wanna tell you right now, you have got to put yourself in a place. And I said it last week, if church is not inconvenient, you're doing it wrong. You've got to put yourself in a place not that has great music, not that just has great programs for your kids, but are they pushing you towards righteousness? Amen. Oh, yeah. I'm not shopping for somebody that will make me feel good. I don't know about you, but I, I need to be challenged. I need some hard truths spoken to my life sometimes. And he says, time's coming where people have itching ears. In other words, they just immediately tune out on anything that challenges them. And he says, they will turn away from listening to truth and they're gonna wander into myths. Again, I think we're there. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh and I'm not trying to set myself up as I'm just... I thank God that I'm just so righteous and I, I don't wanna have a pharisaical spirit. But I just, I hear stuff. I hear people saying stuff. I see people posting on Facebook. And if you had any biblical knowledge, you know, that's not true. It's a myth. It feels good in the moment. It validates you in the moment. It validates culture in the moment. But it's not eternal truth. And we've got to make sure that we're not going into clever myths, clever philosophies that feel good in the moment. Because here's what I found in my life. Like that story I told a few minutes ago that when I was confronted, I didn't like it. But 10 years later, I'm thankful. And I want to tell you, you'll save yourself a lot of messes, young people, if you let mom and dad talk to you and hurt you in the moment. When you're 30 and 40, you look back and say, thank God I had parents who loved me enough to say, no, you're not going there. No, you're not doing that. No, you're not going to participate in that.
Yes. Come on, that was from God. We need to thank God. Somebody needs to hold on to that. I feel like God's doing something right now. So I'm going to try to land this plane real quick. But number three, we need to believe that God's word is perfect. I'm going to explain what we mean by that. Number one, the Bible is inspired by God. It was a human process and a divine process. Like Jesus was both human and divine. And God used the human processes to bring about the divine process of his word coming to pass. That means that the Bible is God-breathed. That as these people wrote these words, God was guiding their thoughts. God, God was guiding what they would write. It wasn't of their own accord, but God guided those words. That doesn't mean they fell into a trance and they were like robots and nothing like that, but they were thinking real thoughts like you and I are right now, but we believe that those were guided by the hand of God. Second Peter 2.19 says, and we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. How many believes in the power of the Holy Spirit? That God could guide thoughts. So it's not just any ordinary book. It was divinely crafted by God. Number two, we, we believe the Bible is inerrant. And that means that the Bible is entirely truthful and reliable and all that it affirms in its original manuscripts. Proverbs chapter 30, verse five, every word of God proves true. It is, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And I just wanna, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but a lot of people love to poke holes and you know, they'll, they'll find different numbers in the Bible and, and you know, was it that exact number? And I wanna tell you, don't get hung up on that stuff. The writers were human. They were looking and it says, well, it looks like there was about 5,000 people here. I'm not throwing my Bible away if there was 4,995. Just like if I would look at this crowd and I would probably guess, oh, there's probably 400 people here. You wouldn't call me a liar and say, I'm never coming back to church because I counted 397. Don't put the Bible in a corner that it's not intended to. We can trust its accuracy. And the Bible is clear. When I say the Bible is clear, what I mean by that is it gives us all the big picture details that we need. And yes, there's some difficult passages. Yes, we will never fully understand every word of the Bible because we're human, but about the big picture of things, how we are to be saved, who Jesus is, who our savior is. How many knows the Bible is clear? It is the saving message of Jesus that can be understood by all who hears it. What do we mean by that? You take the basic points of the message of the word of God and you go to Kids Blast right now and you show them a few scriptures and a five-year-old can have a clear understanding of what's foundational and be saved. But that's because the Bible is clear. You don't have to have a PhD in theology to be saved. Why? 
because God's Bible, his word is clear. Deuteronomy chapter 30 proves this. It says, for this commandment that I command you today, it's not too hard for you. Neither is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. But the word of God is near to you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. And I just wanna stop here right now. In the American church, we need rebuked. We have no idea what we have holding in our hands. And the people in China right now who would do whatever it takes to have access to the word of God. And we're sitting here today with tablets and iPhones and literal Bibles and so much else. And we do not appreciate it, including me. And we need to get back to an appreciation for the word of God because it is clear. And how many people will we stand in judgment with who never had one Bible? who believed the little amount of the word and truth that they knew. And here we are today at the buffet of God's banquet. Come on, church. We've gotta get that love for the word in our heart. Next, the Bible is sufficient and unchanging. Psalm 119, 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's settled in heaven. First Timothy 3, 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. This goes back to the clarity of God's words. He said, Timothy, this has been explained to you as a kid. Don't leave it. Don't think you're too smart for it. Don't think you're too educated, too sophisticated for it. And then we've got to understand it's sufficient and it's unchanging. We don't need a Bible 2.0. It's sufficient. Revelation 22, verse 18. And John Revelator, I believe that this is given about the book of Revelation, but I think it's applicable to all of scripture. He says, as I warn everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add him to the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. I don't know about you, but that sobers me. Because I can always point to people and say, wow, they're taken away from God's book. But I need to read Matthew 5 through 7 where Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them. I need to read where Jesus says, I need to forgive. Come on, all of us. Thomas Jefferson, he, he had a Bible in which he cut out all the scriptures that had the supernatural because he didn't believe that God did the supernatural. And it's easy to judge Thomas Jefferson, but you and I, we got our own pair of scissors that we conveniently look back and we can judge moral sins, we can judge those things, but how many knows judgment begins at the house of God? And, and, and if you're gonna point people to scripture, just make sure when they point scripture back at you, you can take it. We've all of us, we've gotta not add or take away from that book. Personalities are never greater than God's word. 
Churches never get the power to override God's word and personal experience never overrides God's word. Well, you know, I, I had this vision and God told me that this is no longer wrong. Well, is that vision in agreement with God's word? How many knows there's been entire religions who claim to be Christian that have been formed from visions? How many knows that visions and the supernatural are always subject to the word of God? We believe in prophecy. We just heard a great prophecy. You know what I love about that prophecy? It had lots of scripture in it. The supernatural is subject to the word of God. And lastly, the Bible, it's resilient and it's eternal. It's resilient. As I said before, none of this stuff is new. It's all come and gone. The people, the philosophers, they all come and go. And Matthew 5, 18 says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Jesus is speaking, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Jesus said every scripture, every sentence, every comma, every period, it's gonna come to pass. Why? Because it's resilient and it's eternal. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Can we stand to our feet right now and give God praise for the promise of his holy book, of his scripture? Come on, does anybody love the word of God? Does anybody want to be challenged by the word of God to be better? And here, here's how I want us to close today. I want us to come to a place of submission. Come to a place of repentance. Come to a place where I say the word of God is my filter. Pastor Jeremy's great, but he's not my ultimate authority because you're not going to give an account to me. You're going to give an account to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give an account one day for how I taught this word. And when I stand before God, he's not going to say, now on January 29th, did people leave feeling good? Jeremy, on January 29th, did you hurt anybody's feelings? Shame on you. And again, you, you know my spirit. I'm not saying it gives us a license to be harsh. At the end of the day, I'm a mailman. What you do with it, you have to give an account for. I just want to let everybody know we're standing on that word. Now, I don't know about you. With two five-year-olds, I've never been more grateful in my life for the security of God's word. got to keep it. We've got to get it into our kids' hearts. Got to get it into our heart. I wonder if we can lift up our hands all across this place today. Lord, we're thankful, God. Out of 7 billion people on the planet today, 
God, we have been given so much revelation. What a privilege. Lord, I pray that we'd be good stewards of your word. Pray that we would hide it in our heart and we may not sin against you. Pray that we would not compromise it to culture so that we could be validated by people or that we could have a bigger church or that I could have a bigger platform. But Lord, I pray we would value your word so that we could know you and please you even when it hurts. How many is thankful for the goodness of God today?